Hello and welcome to episode 220 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox in Los Angeles. How's it going, Nathan? What's up, man? Good, good. You got uh, big plans for Thanksgiving? Uh, big plans, yeah. Going to Delaware and um, yeah. that's. Is that your <laughs> beach thing that you do? Uh, no, this is new. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. And um should be fun. I'll let you know. It's cool over here, so I imagine it'll only be colder up north. But Yeah, I'm looking forward to freezing my ass off in New York in a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you're talking about for the <laughs> the personal statement workshop and Adam's party? Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So Adam is the, uh, what, what is Adam? He's an editor? He's a He's more than an editor. <laughs> he's a lot more than an editor i mean he writes all the show notes and titles the show and yeah does all the mixing and sound stuff i don't I mean don't even know what yeah, like all adam pretty much tells us what to say we just say it and then we go back and forth right i mean like this is really adam's podcast but no one knows him <laughs> <laughs> a combination of adam yeah. and annalisa so we're going to go to Adam's to party in New York and do this writing workshop on Saturday, December 7th at uh, 1 p.m., by the way. And if you're a Demon subscriber or former Demon subscriber, you can attend that event for free. Otherwise, it's $25. We will be taking personal statements um, and going over them in the workshop. So if you'd like your personal statement reviewed a little bit more than you would get on the show, um, well in the sense that you'd be in person and evaluated in that sense, sign up and come join us in New York on December 7th. Yeah. It was great when we did that in that DC. Was fun, it was yeah. just <laughs> awesome. So um, hopefully the people who are already signing up, hopefully they've been submitting personal statements and then we'll, we'll choose some of those. We'll distribute them to the groups, the groups of attendees at the workshop. will go through uh, the statements and kind of grade them, say what they like, say what they don't like. And then uh, we'll compare those opinions from group to group and then also compare the group opinions to uh, our opinion. Yeah, when we did in D.C., I think we actually ended up having people standing in the back of the room. So (laughs) although this is free for former and current Demon subscribers, I would register at thinkinglsat.com to get your seat and make sure that you don't uh, miss this opportunity. Um, on the show today, uh, we have a PSA regarding accommodations. We have a poem on success or failure, maybe. Changes to the LSAT score reporting. Um, we're going to talk about in regards to episode 218. I don't know what that means. Someone's complaining about something that they don't understand, but okay, cool. we'll, we'll sort we have out. Yale application tips. Um, are paper tests still good? Question mark. I think so. (laughs) We'll see what that's all about. And then Ryan's personal statement. Thank you, Ryan. I hope you know what you're getting into. Um, (laughs) This will air on Monday, which is the November LSAT uh, this year. So if you're taking that test today, I hope that it went well. Uh, We have our fingers crossed for you, of course. The registration deadline for the January LSAT in 2020 is coming up soon. It's on December 3rd. That's a Tuesday. And then that same week, we have our personal statement workshop from 1 to 2.30 on Saturday. Oh, and then the January LSAT is Monday the 13th. Cool. 
Anyways. Yeah, they're coming right at you, but you got to sign up for that on December 2nd so or December 3rd. So, uh, yeah, don't uh, sleep on that. There are also LSATs this year in February and yep, March, February, both, right? March, April. So there's kind of no reason why anybody should really need to force January or February. No. Yeah. Right? I mean, you need to get ready. Get yourself prepared, fully prepared, and then and and then take sign, it, and then yeah. take it, you know, but like I don't, I'm getting a lot these days of people telling me that they had to reschedule their tests because they just weren't ready, mm-hmm. and then I'm kind of wondering why they even registered for the test in the first place. Now that it's offered more often, I don't know. What do you? Yeah, think? I have mixed feelings about that. I, I see what you're saying. I think there can be people who prematurely sign up for the LSAT and especially if they're only giving themselves a month, <laughs> that's a problem. Uh, even two months may be too few. But I'm okay with people signing up and then postponing if they're okay losing the money because I think it does give them like a goal and motivation to get working, right? So, Yeah, I get that. It's just an expensive goal. I mean, when you reschedule, you only get... $75 back. Uh, right? No, I think you only get 50. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you get $50 back of your $200 registration fee. Thanks. LSAC. So I don't know, like for some people, that's an awful lot of money. And if they do that, especially if they do it more than once, it's just kind of, it's like, well, you could have just taken a couple practice tests and had a decent idea where you stand. And if you, if where you stand is 20 points away from like a reasonable score, then maybe just don't register until you get kind of closer Sure, yeah. to that reasonable yeah. score. But I see it the other way too. Yeah. And especially if the money part isn't that big of a deal for you, then I can see how, well, all right, I'm going to bite the bullet sign up, give myself the like external motivation. I think taking a lax approach to this is more applicable now than it is in like September, October, November. That's what I'm saying. Because they're offering it so many times now and because, I mean, if you're rushing to take the January test because you think you're going to apply this year or this cycle, you're doing the wrong thing anyway. So, you know, there's no, I don't, I just don't see why you would be forcing January. Yeah. But I would say for September, October, November, if you're planning to apply that cycle and you're preparing for those tests, you're probably better off signing up for them so you don't miss the deadline to sign up and then miss those tests and now look at taking yeah, it for or the next even, year. Even for, for June or July, if it's your first attempt, um, there are reasons to push for taking it in June or July so that your sure. retakes can be in September, October, so that you can still apply at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Yeah, I'm just th- this advice Yeah, applies to... If you're hearing this in November, December, January, this is the time of year where it, it, there's not n- nearly as big of an incentive to push. Because <laughs> if you're looking at the deadline, you know, your school, well, my school accepts applications all the way up until April. <clears throat> you know, that's just like a sucker play. Yeah. So you don't want to be doing that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you can always email the show at help at thinkingelsa.com. Annalisa will kindly filter your email into the show where possible, if possible. You can send us your selfies, leave us a a review on iTunes, 
and so on. Let's jump into this PSA about accommodations. So uh, accommodation letters that say your test will be digital could be wrong. So basically we got an email from Courtney and she had gotten accommodations and her accommodations letter said that her test would be digital. And it turned out that she got an email or she talked to the accommodations proctor or something and they're like, no, no, your test is going to be paper. And I don't remember all the details, but bottom line is that there was a mistake with a lot of these accommodation letters, apparently, and they're saying that the test is going to be digital when, in fact, it's paper. Now, for a lot of people, they don't care, paper, digital, whatever, but for Courtney, it, it, shouldn't was, a, matter. it was a big deal because apparently the digital test actually compensated for some of the accommodation requests that she, she was seeking. And so now that it was um, paper, she was concerned. And so anyways, just FYI. Because of bubbling or something? I don't know. Actually, I didn't, I didn't ask. I'm, I'm not sure what that would help with, but for, for some reason it was helping. Yeah. Maybe it's bubbling. So I guess <laughs> this is all to say that, yeah, the, you know, LSAC seems to be stumbling a little bit these days with, they're having a hard time rolling this out, which, I mean, we predicted that this was going to be a challenging thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, hopefully they'll get it sorted out. I think the other thing that's happening is that they must be getting inundated with accommodations requests these days. And um, we can put it out there. Again, we have not heard of anyone getting denied accommodations. <laughs> We've been saying on the show for years now, if you got denied accommodations, please email help at thinkinglsat.com because we want to hear about it. Yeah. Basically, nobody's getting denied accommodations. You can just have your doctor fill out a, I mean, you could be your normal physician, fill out a normal thing, and you probably will get your extra time. So they're getting buried in these requests, and now they're having to accommodate all different, you know, different people for all sorts of different things simultaneously while they're trying to roll out the digital LSAT. And, I don't know. One thing, a PSA about accommodations is that if you do apply for accommodations, you should be prepared to get like different. It's going to be different for you. And it could be different in a lot of different ways. Could be on a different day. Could be in a different format. Could be like lots of different stuff could happen. I would say this too, that when people have their test on a different day, the most frequent question I get, I think, is, oh, is my test going to be the same test that everyone else is getting? And in my experience, I've seen test takers get the same test, and I've seen test takers get a different test. So <laughs> I just say, I don't, I don't know every time. Yeah. You're, when you're asking for accommodations, you're asking for, you know, you're, gonna, you're asking for different treatment. <laughs> you're going to get different treatment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just make sure you read everything they send you. They, they sometimes will have like a phone number on there where you're supposed to call the test center, your special test center administrator. Mm -hmm. And if you, if, if that's the case, like you need to make sure you call that person, talk to them, (laughs) figure out what the deal is, where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm hearing too often people finding out like, the day before the test, they're finding out that they're actually not taking the test that day. Mm, yeah. Because they didn't read the shit that the LSAC sent out. Mm. So yeah, if you're, if you're signed up for the LSAT, you need to read the things that the LSAC sends you. They are your overlords. <laughs> <There> you <are. laughs> they are. 
Yes, yes, they are. They are they are controlling. They are a very important gatekeeper on your uh, on your legal career. So you need to take them uh, pretty seriously. Cool. Right. So this next one is a poem that a student gave me. Um, uh, Annalisa <laughs> has titled this "A Poem from an from an Overrated Poet." The poem is <laughs> "Success is Counted Sweetest" by Emily Dickinson. And you know, I'm actually having second thoughts about even going through this, but I was more excited about it when the person shared it with me because they were like, "You know this poem," and I was like, "I don't know this poem," and everyone was like, "Yeah, we know that poem." And so then I was like, "Fuck." I guess I don't know this poem. So then I'm like kind of like sharing it on the show as if I know it. Like, oh yeah, everybody know this one? Yeah. But I I don't really care about it anymore. Um, so, <laughs> Well, now that we've talked it up, I think we have to read it. So it's I'm only curious, 12 you, lines. Are you familiar with this poem? Absolutely not. I don't give any shits about poetry. I have no real liberal arts education at all. Um, my undergraduate degree, thank God, was a bachelor of science. And, uh, so no, I studied like science and math and stuff mostly in, um, in undergrad. Okay. And oh, so, so did I. I. So I never wasted time with Emily Dickinson. <laughs> when everybody's like, yeah, don't you know that poem? I was like, I guess, I don't know. Like apparently I missed some things and I think you've told me on the show that I've missed some things as well. So I can't remember what you've told me that I've missed, but yeah, I've told you that I have a, I have a shitty education, but when I say I have a shitty education, it's only because yeah, I don't get Emily Dickinson references, <laughs> but you know, like I question the value of it. Can I just read it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Here's this. And what was the context in which the student presented you with this poem? <laughs> what was the point? I, I'm trying to remember now. It was more like, uh, Overcoming, yeah, overcoming challenges right? of the LSAT and, you know, this journey, right. blah, blah, blah. Yep. So here it is. Let's see what great, meaningful takeaways we get from, from Emily Dickinson. Okay. Success is counted sweetest by those who ne'er succeed. To comprehend a nectar requires sorest need. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so if you want to know what a nectar tastes like, you, you have to really want yeah. it or need it you have to be really yeah hungry. you got to be yeah if you're like really you know you've been out in the desert for four days then that, that nectar is gonna really be sweet. yeah but yeah, i'm gonna um, take issue with that because like almost anything tastes good to me when i'm starving right and then afterward i'm like oh, i don't know why i like that i think that's the point mm. well that is the point okay whatever yeah not one of all the purple host who took the flag today can tell the definition so clear of victory. What? I thought that we were rhyming. That doesn't rhyme. <laughs> That's some bullshit about being in a f battle or something? Yeah, so not one of all the purple host who took the flag today. So the ones who won, if you took the flag, you won, uh, right? Can tell the definition so clear of victory. They can't, they can't really tell you what it the means. The ones who won can't tell you what it's really like to yeah. win. That's bullshit. All right. As he defeated dying on whose forbidden ear, the distant strains of triumph burst agonized and clear exclamation point. Okay. So you have, as he defeated dying. Oh, the one who got defeated. Yeah, okay. Okay. So now we're done. That one is dying. So we're talking about him. Okay. So he's going to be the one who really understands what it is to win. Success is counted sweetest. To those who never succeed. Okay, so the distant strains of triumph burst agonized and clear. So he... So he really understands it. 
Because he didn't get it. Because he didn't get it. Hmm. Okay, that's a thousand percent crock of shit. <laughs> this is, that is not true. <laughs> this dude is dying. He just got smoked on the battlefield. And according to Emily Dickinson, he's the one that really understands winning. Mm, I beg to differ. Okay, well, thank you, Emily. Um, yeah, that was... Oh, that's four minutes. We're never getting back. All right. Um, ready for this next thing? Sure. So this is an email from our overlords at LSAC, and mm. they're telling us about changes to the LSAT score report. This email, if you got it, was one, two, three, four, five, six paragraphs long. <laughs> we will summarize it for you in two sentences. <laughs> yeah. The summary of this is law schools will now get your score even if you haven't completed the writing sample, but you still need to complete your writing sample to complete your applications. So up to this point, if you took the LSAT and you didn't do LSAT writing, if you didn't do the writing sample, your scores would not be released to the law schools until you did that. But law schools complained, and now your score will be released to the law schools as soon as your score is released, even if you haven't completed the writing sample, but that doesn't get you off the hook. You still at some point need to complete your writing sample if you want to apply to these schools because they are going to look at that. So, Also, yeah. it wasn't just the schools that were complaining. It was the students that were complaining because we got multiple reports of people who were unable to complete their LSAT writing oh, really? because okay. of various glitches mm -hmm. with the software. Mm. And so that's part of it too, is that they in order to take some of the heat off themselves, they have decided to just release scores without waiting for the LSAT writing in, in case you get a glitch in LSAT writing. Ah, the story um, unfolds. Yeah. Yeah. When this news came out, um, people were asking us the reason why we put it on the agenda really, cause it doesn't, it's kind of a non issue, but the reason why we decided to put it on the agenda is people were like, Oh, does this mean that the writing sample counts less now? Or, you know, like that it's, it's, we don't need to work. It, it's a less of a thing now. Um, I think probably the answer to that is no, it, it seems as if this is still a necessary condition and that's all it ever was anyway is like a necessary condition. Mm -hmm. It's one of the hoops that you have to jump through. And if you can't successfully jump through this hoop, you got no business going to law school anyway. I mean, it's the easiest essay in the world to write. It's so formulaic. All you have to do is just like follow the directions. I can't like, can you really comprehend Ben? Like somebody who can't do the LSAT writing. Like it's difficult for them. Yeah, Emily Dickinson. But, <laughs> but then, but then being a successful lawyer. I mean, it just—it's like if I was yelling at my class in LA last weekend that basically, if the LSAT writing keeps you out of law school, then good. Like that's good for you that it kept you out <laughs> yeah, of law school. Yeah, if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be there. I agree. If you can't do this assignment, you're you're struggling bad. Or if like if someone in a law school reads your LSAT writing and they're like, "Ooh, I don't think." I mean, that's the best thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> because if you can't write this stupid 35-minute essay, if you can't do that, then it, it boy, you are in a world of hurt trying to be a lawyer. Sure. Hey, I, I have mean, a side for question real. for you. Yes. Do you ever like talk to your class or do you always yell? No, at them? I only yell at them. Yes. It's hundred <laughs> percent yelling. I think every time you tell me about your class, you're like, I was yelling at them this weekend. I was yelling at them last night. <laughs> that's it's because like, that's how it is. You just walk into class. You're like, everybody, 
Yeah, basically almost. Yeah. yeah. Like I wake up. <laughs> um, yeah. So if you want to get yelled at in, uh, LSAT classes in either LA or San Francisco, just go to foxlsat.com. You can sign up for my wonderful classes. If you want someone to talk to you nicely, uh, go to strategyprep.com <laughs> and learn about Ben's classes in DC. Um, well, okay. What do we think the other, so the other thing about this writing yeah. sample deal is that we have heard now from, um, our little birds uh, at like LSAC forums and stuff. Mm. We have heard that uh, law schools are potentially actually reading the writing sample these days. Yeah, I think that's more likely. I think it's just easier to read. I think a lot of people look down. Now it that before. it's typed yeah. and like word processed, it it's it it looks a lot more like a document that might be useful to the schools. When it was handwritten in pencil, for one, half of them are going to be just real hard to even read they probably don't want to be judging people based on handwriting. I mean, that's dumb if they do. And it, it, we, we know that no one ever hand writes anything these days. I mean, you're always going to be using a word processor. Yeah. Hey, my class was not sure. And I'm not sure. Is there spell check now on the, on the, uh, LSAT writing? So when I did the practice digital LSAT before it was released, writing, the writing sample was still part of the digital LSAT and that okay. system did not have spell check. Okay. Email the show, please. If you've done the writing sample, the, if the LSAT writing, the new one, the decoupled one, if you've done that and you know conclusively whether it has spell check, please email uh, help at thinking LSAT.com so that a dot can put it on the agenda for us. Yeah. Hey, just a last comment about the writing sample. I mean, I think we've said a million times that it's not as important as your LSAT score and all that. But I do think that if I were an admissions officer and I was considering a few people who were in the same score range, I think the LSAT writing sample would be a decent consideration. I mean, you can learn oh, so much about someone's <clears throat> like aptitude by their I would read it. writing, right? Are they precise? Are they clear? Do they make sense? You know, the problem is, Ben, that these people who work in the admissions offices frequently are bad writers themselves. Yeah, that's true. Like, I don't know if they can really tell. I, and I also, by the way, I must, I feel so, I've been thinking about this a lot. I feel so sorry for these people. Can you imagine being like the admissions person at, let's say a shitty law school in um, D.C.? Or like a just a you know like the lowest ABA school in DC. <laughs> now I'm gonna get a bunch of people who are mad at me. But I would say, you know, you got Catholic in the area. It's it's one of the lower ranked schools. All right, let's say let's say Catholic. I'm not. I don't mean that they're actually shitty. I just mean that that's a regional school that like I've never heard of, sure. right? Because I'm in California, yeah. mm -hmm. so it's something that carries no weight in California. If you went to that school, I mean, it, can you imagine being in admissions in that school? Can you imagine what the personal statements must look Ugh. like? And, and can you imagine the, I feel like I would have, well, I, I just wouldn't be able to have that job. I would, there's no way I could do it because more like morally I would be, you would have to, it would have to be so clear to you. Like, you know what the success rate is of your students, right? You know how, how frequently those people actually practice law, you know, what kind of jobs they actually get. Yeah. And, you know, 
I don't know how the how hard the bar is in DC, but you you just you know all these things, right? Yeah, I wonder if they like cling to those few success stories, right? There's certain, <laughs> they must, they, yeah. Like they're that's like, the well, only they way might. they could possibly sleep at night. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> it's like, I mean, because they know how much they're charging, they know what the success rate is of people who pay full price. Then they're reading a mountain of just awful personal statements. So either if they themselves are terrible writers, then they can't even tell. But if they are any kind of decent writer, then they must be looking at, they must be just like, it must be so painful. Oh my God. It must hurt so badly to just be reading these personal statements. Yeah. Anyhow, I don't know what, I, if I were in admissions, I would totally look at the LSAT writing and I would read the first two sentences and I would have a real good idea. Oh yeah. hundred percent. It would, it would be no problem. It's just like when we read people's personal statements. I mean, whoever this is, that's on our agenda, Ryan, get ready for it, Ryan, because when we get there, like we're going to read the first two sentences and we're going to already have a real, real good picture. Did I ever tell you about the writing sample I got from a student who talked about his youth at the beginning of the writing sample? What? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> oh, so he didn't follow the directions? <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, it says in, like, bold, you're not allowed to write on a topic of your own choosing. <laughs> well, no. So he wrote about his youth because it somehow connected to what they were talking about, but... Oh, Jesus Christ. Was, that's not... It was just so funny because I just... I, he sent me it in an email, I think. It's, it was like several years ago, but he said, oh, hey, I, I wrote a sample, writing sample. Can you check it out and tell me what you think? And I think the first paragraph was like, you know, I've been going on vacations ever since I was a child, and therefore, like, I have this, like, expertise in, like, deciding where to go on vacations. Never, ever, <laughs> ever do that, people. You do not need to do that. You're supposed to be advocating your client, advocating for your client, or sorry, you're supposed to be advocating for a position, basically making a recommendation to a client based on the information on the page, not based on your knowledge of shit. <laughs> it's fictional. I know. It's, well, it's God crazy. Damn. Well, I think that... um I think that, and then we see this with the personal statements that we help clients with and on the show, it's like people, I don't know, an argument is persuasive in their head, but they don't realize how that argument sounds to other people and that it's not persuasive. Yeah. When you say like, oh, I, I came to realize that it's good to be nice to people. It's like, cool. Like, I'm glad you came to realize that. Why Why are you telling me that? It's just like people don't know what to write about, but in their heads it seems persuasive. And, yeah, so you got to stick with the facts. It's the same thing, actually, we say for personal statements. Stick to the facts and just tell them why. Yeah, and those facts about your life are not, read, are not, are not relevant for LSAT writing. Yes. LSAT writing, you're supposed to be just taking the facts on the page and then advocating based on those facts, mm -hmm. choose one of the two options and then make a case for one of those options using the facts on the page. And that's it. Nothing more. Yeah. Alrighty. Anyway, yeah. we do think that law schools might be taking it a little bit more seriously. So, you know, you can't, you definitely, Hey, you have to do it. So you might as well do a good job of it. Yeah. Right. But I think all you got to do is just watch one of our videos about it. And that's really pretty much all you're going to ever need to do. Next, uh, next yeah. one. So this is in regards to episode 218. Uh, we're on 220, right? So a couple episodes ago. Hey, Ben and Nathan. I'm a big fan of your podcast and listen to it every week. 
It's been super helpful with studying for the LSAT and learning more about law school admissions. After tuning into your last episode, I wanted to share my thoughts and possible recommendations for how the podcast can be more inclusive to your underrepresented minority listeners. Okay. I'm a first generation and a Latina. After hearing Bella's question, will answering my ethnicity lower my chances of admission? It really bothered me. While I understand Bella was asking a legitimate and important question, I felt that it was taken too lightly. You swiftly moved on to the next segment of the podcast without addressing how and why white people are at a higher advantage than URMs when applying to law school. What? Again, I really love the podcast, and this is not to call either of you out. So it sounds like Bianca. Is this the one where Bella was white? And we just said. We don't know. Whether or not you check the box. Well, I remember us giving the advice of like, it doesn't matter if you're white, you can check the box or not check the box. Yeah. They're just going to assume you're white. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was white. Yeah, she was Caucasian. That's what she said. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But we're not, that's no, that you misunderstood. I mean, so I think what happened was here, here's, here's how I think it went down. The truth is blacks and Latin X's get an advantage in law school admissions because there aren't as many qualified applicants who look like that. So law schools do lower the admissions bar a little bit for people who check those boxes. Have I said anything wrong so far, Ben? Um, so they have a, yeah, I, I don't know if you've said anything wrong. I, I, I think that some people might say, oh, well, yeah, it's easier for them to get into law school, but it's harder for them to get to that point, maybe. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like there's not as many people who show up with good LSAT scores and good undergraduate grades good resumes, good personal statements, all that stuff that just like law schools have a harder time finding those people in the first place. And so, and they really do genuinely want diversity at their schools. And it starts at the very top, Harvard, Stanford, Yale, they really want diverse classes. And so they will admit people who look like that with slightly lower LSAT scores, slightly lower GPAs, because they're just trying to like get diversity in their schools. And then that filters down to all other schools. So if you can check those diversity boxes, you should check those diversity boxes because they're going to make it a little bit easier for you to get into schools. Am I still on solid ground? That's accurate. Yep. Okay. The thing I think I said at the very end was I get real tired of white people complaining about that because we, we get, I, I, I'm not sympathetic as a white person. I am not sympathetic to the anti-affirmative action arguments okay. because I know that as a white person, I have had all of those advantages, whatever they are, for whatever reason, they're, they're structural, they're societal, they're, it's unclear. We don't even know why this happens, but like white people tend to do better on the LSAT. So I, <laughs> When I hear people, so what I think I, I think I did it as a throwaway comment at the end of the discussion. I think I said something like, if you're, if you're worried about that, if you're like a white person worried about getting discriminated against because you're white, that's bullshit because you've had all sorts of other advantages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all I meant. 
And that's the, that's just socioeconomic advantages of all different sorts. And I'm not an expert on that at all. I just know that even when they control for things, remember this Ben from like the very beginning of the podcast, we were talking about how, even if they control for things like education of your parents and income of your parents and what neighborhood you grew up in, and they can control for all sorts of factors and whites still outperform on the LSAT. Yeah. Well, okay. So we don't know why, but that's a fact. And if you're white and you're bitching about affirmative action, I just don't want to hear it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I think that, I think Bianca um, maybe took that the wrong way for, I, I don't, I certainly wasn't saying that if you're white, you are at an advantage getting into law school. I, I wasn't trying to not be conclu- like, not be inclusive of people who aren't white. Um, in fact, it's, I think it's quite the opposite. <laughs> Like when I hear somebody with a mid one sixties LSAT score and they happen to be you know black or Latin, I'm like, Oh shit, damn, that's super awesome. Like you're gonna get a boost from checking those diversity boxes and good. You should. And that, so that's it. Yeah. I kind of want to watch that video again from professor. Do you remember the professor's name? I do not remember his name. That was like episode six or something. Yeah. That was like way, way yeah. back. It was the uh, dean of UVA, right? Or he was dean of UVA at the time. Anyways, yeah, he went through all those numbers. That was interesting. We'll have to find it again. It's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> anyway, maybe we can link to it in the show notes. She continues, I did want to offer a recommendation on how the podcast can serve the growing number of people of color applying to the to law school the Trump bump. One of my favorite resources to follow is Paulina Vera, immigration attorney and a GW law professor. Vera opened up a platform for aspiring and current Latina lawyers to uplift each other in a field where only 2% Latinas work in. Her Instagram is... That's that's Hermanas in the Law. Hermanas in the Law. Okay, her Instagram is Hermanas in the Law. Another idea maybe to bring in your former students who are URMs on, onto the podcast. It would be super awesome to have diverse voices to be a guest on the podcast to shine light on this issue of navigating law school as a, as a minority and make a great topic for future episodes. Thanks again for all your advice and guidance. I always refer you guys to other LSAT takers. Well, thank you for referring us out. Um, what do you think about these recommendations? Sure. Shout out to somebody who might be an, in, an, an interesting follow on Instagram. That's great. Uh, if anybody has connections to her and if she would be interested in coming on the show, um, yeah, hit her up, see if she wants to come on the show. I'd love to have more alumni, uh, generally alumni on the show. So, uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we, I've been wanting Ben to just like have more real lawyers on the show. Um, we're connected to plenty of them, right? Like the Ali Rosells of the world. Yeah. So we, we will, uh, yes, we will definitely, um, put that on our radar and try to have more folks on the show. I mean, you know, I also want to have failed, uh, law students on the show. <laughs> like to, if we're going to show you the real, the real deal, mm-hmm. because at the low end, you know, I, I love the fact that Harvard, Stanford, Yale are going to like be, you know, kind of going out of their way to look for minority applicants. Yeah. But at the bottom of the admissions uh, game, mm. 
uh, I feel like the, there are just, it's just bottom feeding. Like, I, I feel like it's, it's unconscionable, like ripping people off when it's the, you know, if it's the Catholics of the world, uh, who are lowering their admission standards, which are already we're quite referring low. to the law school, by the way. <laughs> yes. Catholic <laughs> law school, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. If Catholic law school or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. if they are lowering their admission standards to admit minor minority applicants, sure. Those people are almost guaranteed, you know, if they're not doing it with a scholarship, I, I don't know for sure. If they're giving them a scholarship, awesome. But if they're lowering their admission standards in order to charge these people full price. Yeah, in the name of diversity, but in reality. It's predatory. And and I'm sure that some schools are doing that. I I mean, I just, I know it. Like like the Hastingses of the world. Yeah. You know, they're like all, they never stop talking about diversity. And then meanwhile, their bar passage rate is just like unconscionably low. And if they're giving those people a scholarship, then I'll shut up. But if you're paying full price... (laughs) <laughs> you got to know what you're getting. Hey, I have a question for you. Does the 509 report break down bar passage rates by ethnicity? Let me ask you this. Does the 509 report even have bar passage rates on it? Oh, yes. I forgot. We just lost that <laughs> a year ago or something. Um, dang, where is that information then? You need to go down the hall and yell at the ABA. I should, yeah. They are close by. Or just. Go, I, I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, we need to we need to make some contacts. Like we, I w I'm like, I'm genuinely curious. Why does the 509 report not include bar passage rates? It used to, now it doesn't. Why? Yeah. Can we figure out how to ask them that? <laughs> yeah. Can you send Matt down the yeah, hall? Yeah, I'll send Matt down the hall. Or I can go down the hall um, and see who's there. Yeah. Just genuinely curious. Do you guys, is there, is there any kind of a rationale for t- that? If this report, as I understand it, this report is meant to protect consumers from predatory law schools, why would you not include the bar passage rate on that report? Maybe there's an easy answer. (laughs) Doubt it. Okay. uh, So thanks, Bianca. Thank you very much for writing in. We will definitely take uh, that advice. And yeah, if anybody knows Paulina Vera, and if you if you can convince her to come on the show, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, this next one is Yale application tips. Do you want to read this? Sure. Um, oh, this is from uh, Josie. Um, Josie says, "I oh, this is the letter that she's forwarding us, which came from admissions dot law at Yale dot edu." It says, Dear Joanne, I'm writing to you as part of our search for Yale Law School's class of 2023 exclamation point. We are reaching out to a select group of highly qualified applicants who are current or former service members. Our records indicate that you have not yet applied to Yale Law School, and I strongly encourage you to do so. Diversity and inclusion are core to the values of YLS. The 212 members of the class of 2022 include eight U.S. military veterans who bring their unique experiences to our law school community. Hold on a second, Ben. Eight? Eight. Eight out of 212? Yeah, I don't... Are you saying that's low? Yeah, I have no idea whether it's low or high. 
What percentage of the population well, are U.S. military veterans, and how many of them want to go to law school? I would. <laughs> that sounds real low to me. If I just think about like my, all my students over the years, I would have estimated it to be a lot closer to ten percent. That's that's three point seven percent. Eight people out of two hundred twelve. I don't know. That doesn't. It, it, that's not an impress. I'm I'm very surprised that they're even. Why are they citing that stat? That doesn't sound. Yeah, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't sound high. I agree. And I. It's not impressive. Now that, well, okay. So here's my experience with military veterans who are in class. They tend to be older, which makes them more disciplined, etc. Maybe because of their background as well, obviously. But Mil- military. I'm very impressed with my former military students. They work their asses off. But they tend to be more non-traditional students. And that. Yeah. So they are diverse. I mean, I get why law schools want to reach out to military veterans. I'm just surprised that there aren't more. Uh, eight out of 212. I mean, I would use that fact. I would put Yale Law School only admitted eight U.S. military veterans out of their 212 members in the class of 2022. It <laughs> doesn't sound like a point in their favor. Yeah. But. Well, I guess they're anyway. they're trying to, I mean, this is why they're seeking them, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I also already cynically have the, um, I, you know, law schools do reach out to people for like purposes of denying them. <laughs> like they want your application so that they can keep their yield really sure. high or so that they, so that they can have like, we only admitted 4% of all the applicants to our school. So like they want as many applications as they can. So they reach out to, to different groups and they just say, well, because you're part of this group and then you think you're special because you're part of that group. So then you're more likely to apply. Yeah. So that's the super cynical interpretation of this email, but we'll see, we'll see what, what else they say. Um, they go on and say, uh, this one L class is 53% women which matches the population of the U S and also, I don't know. My classes tend to be more women than men. Is, is that true for yours too? Yep. Ben? That's always been the yeah. case. So that's, yeah, that has always been the case. I mean, there's more women in law school than men actually. So this is, a, that's also, I, I bet there's more than 53% in all law schools everywhere. I bet Yale has more, a higher ratio of men than other law schools, <laughs> but they're lawyers, you know, they're like, just, Hey, I'm going to cite facts and pretend that they're on my side. Um, 49% students of color. Now that does seem high and includes students from 77 different undergraduate institutions and 34 different States. In addition, 11% of the members of this class are the first in their families to graduate from college. So that's all. Wait, hold up. Let's go back to the women <laughs> wow. number. So apparently according to Google, 51.3% of currently enrolled law students are women. Oh, really? Mm. I would have definitely thought higher. Huh. I think that's because more women seek out help for the LSAT. They're oh, more willing to. Because men think they got they it. They think they got it. <laughs> okay. The key word there is think. <laughs> yeah, definitely think. Um, okay. All right. Uh, I'll, fine. I'll buy that. I'm disappointed, but I'll buy that. In addition, well, this, how about this? 11% of the members of this class are the first in their families to graduate from college. Okay. It seems low. I mean, the college graduation rate, what's the college graduation rate in the United States? College graduation rate? Yeah. 10%, 15%, 20%, maybe. 
Oh like, yeah. I don't know. Mo- mo- most people don't graduate from college. Yeah. I mean, we travel in circles of people who all did graduate from college, Yeah. but most people in the United States did not graduate from college. So if Yale is getting all excited about 11% of first in their families to graduate from college, and it just sounds low to me. My parents didn't graduate okay, from college. Okay, so here we go. Uh, so. The numbers have gone up over the years, right? So if you look at 65-year-olds uh-huh. and older, it's 27%. Whereas if you look at um, 45-year-olds and older, it's 32% going up. And then 25-year-olds and older, it's 36%. So it seems like uh, these days about 36% of people graduate from college in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. But this is uh, 11% of members of this class are the first in their families to graduate from college. That's what I'm saying. Like, basically, your folks didn't go to college. Yeah. I just, it doesn't seem that impressive. Okay, sure. (laughs) They are, all these facts are making me think that they are more elitist, not less elitist, is what I'm saying. Okay, sure. You know, okay. And 25% are the first to attend graduate or professional school. (laughs) So that means 75% of their class. Have have parents who went to graduate oh, sure, school. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, almost ninety <laughs> percent of the class are like coming down from college families. Yeah, which is in, <laughs> which is unusual, right? Because yeah, imagine the if they had written this graduate. the other way. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay. If they could, they could totally say they could have written it this way. They could have said, um, "Let me see, two twelve minus eight. So they could say. Uh, 204 of our 212 members of the class of 2022 do not have military backgrounds. <laughs> um, 89% of the members of this class are not the first of their families to go to college. And 75% have parents who went to graduate school. You know what? This actually might be impressive for Yale. Cause if you imagine the history of Yale, I mean, the LSAT was created, right. To actually bring, people into Yale and other elite law schools that were previously reserved to family members of people who had graduated from similar elite schools. So, yeah. So, I mean, I was underestimating how elitist they actually are, (laughs) but they're they're thawing, they're becoming less elitist and and in part, well, they're at least thinking about it, thinking about it. And and these numbers show that to some degree, I mean, before it was probably zero, right? Zero percent of the members of this class are the first in their families to graduate from college or 1%, right? It was highly unusual. It was all just uh, passed down right. from family member to family member. Right. And that's totally why just LSAT legacy a hundred percent. Right. was created. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's 11%, not legacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, great. <Yeah. laughs> Good job. Uh, anyway, these statistics barely scratch the surface semicolon. They do not capture the richness of our community at Yale law school. We look for students with the widest possible array of backgrounds who can bring their voices and ideas to our academic community. Um, There's an ellipsis there, which I think maybe we added because it gets in now to some application tips. Ready to hear the application tips coming from Yale Law School? Okay. It says, we hope that you will apply to Yale Law School. Every year, we admit students who would not have applied to Yale without an invitation such as this one. Should you decide to apply to Yale, I would like to offer a few helpful suggestions. First, please note that your chance of admission to Yale is not affected by the date on which you submit your application. We encourage you to take your time when putting together your application. However, please be be aware that we will begin reviewing your application once we have received the materials necessary to complete it. What? 
I'm confused by those two claims. They don't seem <laughs> to be double cons- talk. Yeah, consistent with each yeah, other. Yeah, double double speak. Please ensure that all of the items you wish us to review. What that all of the items that you wish us to review, such as additional test scores and letters of recommendation, are available at the time of submission. In other words, if you don't have your shit together, we're not going to be evaluating your application. So, Second. wait, we need to clarify for our listeners this first note. Please note that your chance of admission to Yale is not affected by the date on which you submit your application. That doesn't seem accurate. Well, I I wouldn't believe anybody other than Harvard, Stanford, or Yale saying that. But when you're Harvard, Stanford, or Yale, you're everyone's first choice. And so I don't think Yale has to rush to get applicants early in the cycle. That's all I'm saying. But don't they, I, still, I would they believe, still compete with Harvard? In Stanford. Do they, though? Do they? You don't think they do? You don't think students are not, not debating really. between Stanford, nah. Yale, and Harvard, depending on what they offer them? Mm-mm. At not, not really. I think, I think that they admit only like superstars. And I think that they've got more superstars than they can take each year. All right, hold up. Yale Law School yield. <laughs> Right. That's, that's, that's what you're, Oh, I'm sure some people turn them down. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, I think they have more than enough qualified applicants. I think they put everybody on the wait list and wait until the last minute to decide anyway. Um, I don't know. It, sure. It could be a lie. I, I don't know. I'm for once I'm willing to believe someone. Okay. Hmm. I still feel like it has some effect, but that's interesting. Let's keep going. Yeah. Okay. Um, second, Academic letters of recommendation are given the most weight in our admissions process. We strongly recommend that applicants submit at least two recommendations from professors who can evaluate their academic work. Do not be overly concerned, however, if you are unable to obtain two letters from academic recommenders due to your military service. In that case, you are encouraged to seek recommendations from people who can commit on commit. You mean comment, right? (laughs) (laughs) On the same kinds of skills that a professor would be able to discuss, e.g. analytic reasoning, comma, writing. Oh, my God. What happened there? I don't know. They, like, had a stroke while they were writing that sentence. Um, (laughs) Stroke aside, academic letters of recommendation are given the most weight in our admissions process. more than professional. That's what they meant by that. That also was a bad sentence, but I was able to infer what they meant. <laughs> are given more weight. <laughs> yes. Because it's not the most weight. Definitely not. Most is LSAT, GPA. Well, what I was wondering is are all their applicants in the top GPA and LSAT? Therefore, they have to like turn to something else. That's what I'm saying. I think they have so many amazingly qualified applicants. Okay. Third, please take advantage of the personal statement to tell us about some combination of where you come from, where you are now and where you hope to go. (laughs) I mean, that's so broad that that's like, please tell us something about you. Tell us your life story. People are going to take that the wrong way. People are going to start writing about their hometown. It's just just like, nope, that's dumb. (laughs) Our admissions decisions are based upon a number of factors. (laughs) Completely meaningless including academic achievement and life experiences. It is helpful to our faculty readers to have a full picture of your background experiences and goals. 
The personal statement is an excellent place to provide this information. We understand that applicants usually submit the personal statement that they have prepared for other law schools, and you are welcome to do so. <laughs> what? <laughs> so that's like basically you don't need to write a special personal statement for Yale. Yep. Try to write a personal statement that gives us a picture of who you are. And yeah, where you are and where you hope to go. I mean, I, that's totally fine. I think that, I think that that, I, I think that that is consistent with the advice that we give. The, well, the first part where you come from is, is a little misleading. Yeah. I mean, it, you actually can have one sentence about misleading. that and one <laughs> sentence about where you hope to go and mostly where you are now, like what you do. Yep. Right. Things about you that you've done, especially things that you've done recently. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the personal statement. Fourth, the 250-word essay, that's a special essay for Yale, asks you to explore an idea or issue from your academic, extracurricular, or professional work that is of particular interest to you. The idea or issue you choose does not have to be law-related in any way, we encourage you to view this prompt broadly and to approach it creatively. This short essay is an opportunity for our faculty readers to learn more about your interests and how you think. I think they're real interested in academic bullshit. Yeah. I think they want you to write about ideas in that 250 word essay. I think they want you to sound like a professor. That's who they are. Yep. They're a cauldron of professors and future <laughs> a professors. Cauldron. That's the plural <laughs> of professors. <laughs> nice. Uh, finally, you are welcome to provide a diversity statement if you choose. One way to decide whether to include a diversity statement is to think about those elements of your identity that are core to who you are and to make sure they are represented in your application in a complete and authentic way. I don't know what that means. I don't either. <laughs> That's like, you can do a diversity statement. That's basically it. That's going to speak to anyone who wanted to write one and, and to anyone who didn't already. They'll yeah. be like, uh, elements of your identity that are core to who you are. What other elements of your identity are there? Yeah. Um, anyways. Those, those tips are not super enlightening. No. But anyway, it's, I don't know. It's always, it is always enlightening just to read what they have to say, even if what they have to say is not itself that, that enlightening. It's interesting to just kind of get a peek inside their heads. I'm also disappointed in their writing. <laughs> well, yeah, this is Yale. Like, fuck dude. Like, I know every, I remember I had a law professor. I think I told you this in law school. He said, every email I sent you, I've written it and reread it again before I sent it to you. I was like, yeah, your emails are good, man. It's not that hard. I mean, not that hard. Well, it's just write it and then you read it again, and you're like, "Oh shit, I didn't need to say all this stuff." Yeah, yeah. It's I I get it that sometimes you're busy, you know, and and like I'm sure I fire emails off to you all the time that are just shitty because I just wrote it stream of consciousness and hit send. Sure. But um, if I was going to send out something, if I was going to spam something out to the world, I would (laughs) definitely reread it. Yeah. Anyways, I just have high expectations for these places and everyone they employ. Well, I would assume that if you had similar typos in your personal statement, you would be immediately denied at Yale. 
Yeah, look, they have this extra comma in here too. They yeah, had a couple of those. It's got several errors, including the stroke. <laughs> the stroke sentence. Uh, okay. Well, anyways, thank you, Josie, for sending that in. Yep. Thanks, Josie. Yep. Okay. Next one. Paper test. Still good. Dear Nathan and Ben, I just purchased Cheaty the LSAT. That's uh, Nathan's LSAT book. It's my first What's book. About? Your first, first book. book I ever wrote, and it's a full. A uh, response to prep test 61. So it's a every response. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, that's how I write most of my shit, right? Is I just like, okay, let's look at the test and then I'll explain it to you. So cheating the LSAT has prep test 61 at the very front of it. Then it has uh, a full written response to every question on the test. So Galen continues now that the LSAT is digital though. Um, I'm wondering is it worth using paper versions of the test to practice or should I instead prepare using digital versions of prior exams? Uh, there's not much difference, but you can practice the test digitally in LSAT Demon uh, at LSATdemon.com and you can then review the questions you got wrong and it will learn about how well and poorly you're doing on certain things. I think all those benefits make it better just to practice digitally even if you're someone who's slated to take a paper version of the test so well if I you do online if you keep all of your practice inside the demon then the demon learns from your mistakes and it presents you with questions that are at the right level for you and you build up this big study history and you can then watch videos in the demon and you can read written explanations in the demon and it's all just right there so um, if that's your choice, like, should I use books or paper tests or should I use the demon? I mean, the demon is just clearly better. That said, if you already have that book or if you already have books of LSATs, I mean, don't throw them away. Like they're, they're certainly useful. And maybe if you're going to go on an airplane or something and you don't have internet, then that would be ideal. But they're useful, but they're useful, but they're still like, they're, you're missing out on a lot well, of benefits, not from sub, the. It is the, suboptimal. Yeah. yeah, it's like it, you're. I mean, hey, the demon regular costs three dollars a day, and you, <laughs> if you're going to be studying for an hour a day, or more, I mean, it's just making your study time more efficient. Yeah, it's just worth the investment. And yes, we're biased when we say that, but we're also correct when we say that <laughs> so you know i mean yeah I, like you should do it you should if you're listening to the podcast and you are trying to figure out how to study for the lsat the lsat demon is the answer to that question um but i'm glad uh galen that you picked up a copy of that book i don't think that that's going to be a waste of money i don't think it's going to be a waste of time um i wouldn't go out of my way to get lots of extra paper tests, but, um, I still think that that book can be useful, but that book is really useful because of the advice you give, not because of the fact that it's paper. Right. Yeah. There's no, yeah, there's definitely no point going out of your way to, to use paper versions of the test. I mean, you can, if you're, if you're doing the demon on a tablet, it's, you know, you're going to be studying on a piece of hardware. That's very similar to what you're going to be taking the actual test on. And it'll time the test for you. <laughs> like paper tests don't time themselves, but the demon does. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I think I have, that's all I have to say about that. Sure. All right. So this is uh, Ryan's personal statement. It looks like it has a title too. So. Oh my God. <laughs> I would love. That's the first thing I saw. You read this. Yeah. You want me to do it? 
Yep, go for it. All right. Personal statement, colon, from DJ to JD. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Next, next, next personal statement, Annalisa. Yeah, that that would be that that is an immediate. Yeah, well, just listen, personal statements don't have titles. You don't put a title on it. Every title, any title to personal statement. It's always it's just yeah, it's just not correct. So in the <laughs> header of correct. your personal statement, you put your name, you put the words personal statement and you put your LSAC number. There you go. And you do not put from DJ to JD. <laughs> Anyway, these are some long paragraphs. Yep. They're very dense. It's, it's kind of intimidating. Just glancing at it, I can imagine a reader sort of tuning out in advance a little bit just because it's so, it's just these big, it's like a wall of text. Hey, but, let's talk about overall uh, length for a second here. Oh, I would yeah. say that for most personal statements, we are formatting them so that the person is doing them double-spaced, and they're using a serif font. In other words, it has the little curlies on them. That's just old school, and law schools are old school. So I would recommend using a serif font like Times New Roman or Palatino, and size 11 or 10 font. Oh, sorry, 11 or 12 11 or 12. And if you do that, if you do double spaced size 11 or 12 font Palatino, um, I would aim to have your personal statement under two pages. Uh, Some people might have a lot of good shit to say and go longer than that. But in my experience, even then you can cut down superfluous words. You can cut out sentences that don't really add anything to your story and bring it under two pages and that's sort of the goal. Now, some schools have specific word limits and you have to follow those. But if they don't, a general good rule of thumb is under two pages, double spaced. Okay. So I just changed this one to 11 point Times New Roman, double spaced. And now it's almost three pages long. So this, yep. this definitely needs to be cut down. But I'm, I'm shocked how many people don't get that message about length. Just r- this last weekend, I got a personal statement from someone who took my online class she had distributed the statement to multiple friends and professors and stuff. And she was real proud of it. You know, it was like totally polished and she Mm. was ready for me to read it. And when I made it, uh, 11 point double spaced, it was almost, it was over five pages. Sorry. It was onto the fifth page. First of all, geez, no, that's, that's a dead fail. So I mean, more than a hundred percent too long. And, it was just full of nonsense. It was like so much, uh, just this crazy extended metaphor that she was trying to do. And it was just like, Oh my God, it was like all this shit about her childhood. And I I was like, you need to start over, which is our very common advice that we give. (laughs) So, um, anyway, ready to do this. I'm I'm ready to do this. Here we go. I was lucky enough to turn my love for music into a job. I don't hate that. It's short. It's about you. Yeah. Promises a story. Okay. I don't hate it. Okay. When I was 13, I began to DJ for friends and family as a way to make people happy and showcase my love for the merging of music. 
Now I'm starting I to get irritated. <laughs> Are you irritated by that last phrase or the whole thing? That the last phrase for sure. Like if you love merging music so much, why are you applying to law school? Yeah. And also when I was 13, I don't need to know. I don't know. I don't what like this better get to this needs to get to a point here. Yeah. It's too far in the past. My musical journey began (laughs) when my first two supporters, my parents opened a credit card and took out a $4,000 loan to fund my business. Now, that didn't happen when you were 13. So we don't now we don't know where when we are. We don't know like when this is happening. Oh, maybe it is when it happened. Maybe it is at 13. My parents took a leap of faith and believed in me, and thus I set myself upon a path for which there was no giving up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow, you're like about to conquer the world of music at age 13. And you this can't a, get off this path. Nope. It's a path for which there was no giving up, which that is not the right construction. I don't know what you meant there, but the path for which, no. From which, maybe. Path, <laughs> from which there was no diverging or path. But why? Why would you even say that? You can di- you can get off any path you're on. Right. People start shit when they're 13 and quit everything they do when they're 13. I don't what, why is there no path for give I mean, the fact that you didn't give up. Maybe maybe his parents that, were like, "Hey, we're going to give you a $4,000 loan, but this is it." Yeah. Buddy. No, we're kicking you out of the house if you don't start a DJ business right now. Pay us back immediately. Hey, the interest is running on this shit. Ten <laughs> percent per month. <laughs> per month. Get out there. Get your ass working. Um, anyway, I had to show my parents, friends, and family that I could, in fact, be successful despite the naysayers and their lack of confidence in my abilities. What That's naysayers, jarring. dude? You're 13. <laughs> you can't do that, man. Like your parents gave you four grand. I think unless they're like very wealthy that seems like a decent act of faith (laughs) and confidence that sounds for sure like your parents are wealthy it sounds like your parents are either wealthy or that's a ballsy move (laughs) that like they opened a credit card to do this although they took out a four thousand dollar loan if they're wealthy they just give you the cash straight up Unless yeah, they want that's you to learn like, yeah, about. because they opened a credit card and put, I guess they put four grand on the credit card is my understanding. Okay. So if they're not wealthy, then they're exercising a lot of confidence in your abilities. <laughs> Hell yeah, they are. Let's like, <laughs> Oh, this kid is our meal ticket. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? Okay. The so, problem was uh-oh. being only 13 years old that I had the added obstacle Ugh. of age standing in my way. That's a broken sentence. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. But that is misplaced. Plus, I don't want to hear more about you being 13. Like, fine, you started this when you were 13. What are you doing now? Replace this entire first paragraph with, I started my business. I started a DJ business at age 13. <laughs> and I mean, it's you, still going, presumably. If it's not going, yeah. don't talk about it. <laughs> you need to cut anyway. 
And so you can cut this entire first paragraph and just say, I started a DJ business at age 13. That's an impressive fact about you, by the way. Yeah. Like that shows some balls. And if it was actually a business and you're going to tell me about like how, you know, you were kind of successful, made some money. That's awesome. Although you really do got to show that because I feel like my reaction to hearing that I started a DJ business when I was 13 would be like, yeah, like you started a business or did you, (laughs) you did two school dances and yeah, (laughs) like don't oversell it if you don't have the means to back it up. But let's hear what, what happens. It was an extreme. So this is a new paragraph. It was an extremely slow path that I embarked upon. Ugh, upon. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say upon ever. I don't think you need to say embarked either. Nope. Also, what do you mean it was an extremely slow path? <laughs> I, I don't. A path that was moving slowly. It's it like was, at the airport. <laughs> yeah, you know, or it's like a horse race when the track's wet and it was a, you know, it was a slow, I don't know. Okay. Most people I learned do not trust a DJ who was not even old enough to drive himself to the party. Cut. Yep. We already know you're 13, dude. We're not admitting a 13 year old to our law school. <laughs> we don't need to hear about 13 year old shit anymore. Like, yeah, of course they don't trust a DJ who's what? not even old enough to drive himself to the party. Sorry, I already read the next sentence. I don't understand why people do this. Nevertheless, I persisted. <laughs> why? why does everybody write in their stupid sh- like personal statement to our show and then say this stuff? Oh, I persisted. I overcame. Blah, blah, blah. I don't like, know. Don't, don't they hear us like shitting on this? Yeah, it's pure telling. Yeah. You, you, what do you mean? What did you do? Oh, well, I was dedicated to honing my craft and becoming the best I could be so that when the opportunity came knocking, I would be ready to answer. That's totally just telling you're not, you're not showing me anything. It's just all conclusion about how dedicated, come on. After almost a year of DJing free parties and networking, I received my first call. Sorry, I'm laughing at the word networking. I'm trying to imagine a 13-year-old networking. Yeah, I got this DJ business. Here's my card. This is comedy, dude. It's like Doogie Hauser <laughs> DJ. Um, Which is unfortunate because this is actually cool. Like, how many 13-year-olds do this, right? But it's just... Uh, it's super it's not, cool. It's just way, way overselling. Yeah. Um... Okay, so he gets his first call. Her name was Sherry, and the party was scheduled for December 11, 2011. Okay, so this is, yeah, it's eight years ago. Oh, wow, and you're only, so that means you're only 21 now. Still, I want to hear more about adult shit. I don't want to hear about this. As I prepared, I sat in my garage-turned studio for hours on end practicing my musical transitions what I would say into the microphone and the songs I would play throughout the party. My goal was to create seamless mixes using transitions, beat and pitch matching and precise musical selection. I mean, that's what DJs practice. Like you said you were a DJ. I assumed that you would do all these things. Well, I do like these details in the sense that I, I, I don't know what DJs do to prepare, and at least I'm seeing him doing something. Yeah, I'll give him that. But he's 13, 
in his yep. garage. And like, it's, it's just not like a, it's not enough. It's not adult. No, that's that fundamental problem still exists. I would like hustling for business for would be way more interesting than you like talking about the specifics of transitions, beat and pitch matching and all that. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's okay. We get it. You're a DJ. I don't know. <sighs> that night. Oh, you mean the night of the party? Because you were just preparing. Yeah, so that is technically referring to your preparation night. Right. Unless you were just preparing for hours on end that night. (laughs) Which it actually sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) That's literally what you just wrote. So anyways, that night, as I made the first announcement for dancing, I knew that it was my first and quite frankly my only chance to attract attention. Never use the word frankly. Correct. My only chance to attract attention? No, it doesn't work out. You get another call. You do well, it again. Well, I think he means that night. Yeah, okay, sure. Oh, it, yeah, that night. We're still talking about like, that night. Because everyone's <laughs> going to tune him out if he doesn't really bring it at the beginning of his set. Got it. And so here we 13, go. I can't wait 13. to see what he does. With extreme apprehension, I pressed play on the first song, and everyone rushed towards the dance floor. That should be toward, right? It's toward in the U.S., towards in the U.K. Okay. Um, (laughs) This was my moment. With every passing song, the nerves fell. Just like I practice, <laughs> go ahead. This is sorry. This is like Emily Dickinson now. Yeah, it's you're just the saying it's like fell. Yeah, poetic. It's yeah. It's you're you're writing dramatic poetry about thirteen year old you who's not coming to my law school. I don't get it. Just like I practiced during the countless days and weeks before while before while I was waiting for my first phone call, it was all coming together. Hold on. I'm going to read that again. This is not a good sentence. Just like I practiced during the countless days and weeks before while I was waiting for my first phone call, comma, it was all coming together. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. What it's referring to. It? Uh, <laughs> the show? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. DJing began to feel like a natural instinct. In that moment, I felt like I was given the whole world. With everybody's eyes on me, I was allowed the chance to display my abilities. I did not falter. Uh, okay. That's, that's a page. That's actually more than a page. What have you learned about this person? What's this? Isn't it Ryan? What have you learned about Ryan, Ben so far? <laughs> Ryan is super impressed with what he did at <laughs> okay. age 13. Yep. That's what my impression is right now. I'm like, okay, Ryan, you're super excited about your success when you were 13, which it does sound like it was successful, but you're way overselling it. So, my reaction to that oversell is that 
it's not as great as you think. You want to undersell it so that people are like, or not necessarily undersell it, but you want to yeah. just state things how they are so that people then go, oh, yeah. Actually, yeah, you, I think have, you have inferred that Ryan has really good self-esteem. <laughs> yeah. And, but like, okay, so, but, but factually, what do we know about Ryan? Um, I don't know. I'm so distracted by, I mean, we know he started a business and he put on a show. A show. A show. Yeah. We know that your parents bought you some DJ equipment and you did a, you did some free shows and then you did a show at age 13. Yeah. That sound, according to you, it was a home run. And yeah, I mean, fine. It was a home run, but this is, our, hmm, I don't know. I'm just like, what, but what's, what's your case for law school though? I, I don't know. Should, should yeah. I continue? I think Bing. we should go through this, but see if there's anything in here. We might have to go fast. I, okay. I, this is a lost cause in some ways. Yeah. Being so young, I learned to advertise myself as quote, LA's youngest DJ within weirdly a comma outside of the quotation marks and an M dash. <laughs> I don't know. That comma just needs to go. It needs to Cause go. That, Cause he goes straight into this M dash as written on my business card at the time. M dash turning my biggest weakness into my biggest asset. As I overcame the fear from that first party, I began solving the obstacles put in my path one by one. I dedicated myself towards creating a business that is organized, punctual, professional, and dedicated to service. This is all just telling. Yep. This business model is why to this day, my clients keep coming back. While working at different parties, I do not simply mix songs together like many DJs do. Instead, I bring my clients unparalleled event orchestration by leading the guests as a master of ceremony, setting the mood of the party with vibrant music, and making sure that the energy never fades from the dance floor. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think I have to move out of L.A. (laughs) This sounds like a this sounds like an advertisement for DJ Ryan. Yeah, and I'm and, and I'm like, dude, if you're such a hero DJ, that seems like a much more exciting life than like whatever lawyer thing you're going to do. Why don't you just do that? Yeah. The extremely slow start process of starting dash up my business honed my patience. And perseverance. <laughs> don't don't use the word perseverance ever, let alone twice. <sighs> I like that he used honed properly. Most people fuck that up. Yeah. Um, but it's still just pure telling. It is pure telling. No 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 hyphen in starting up. The ex- the extremely slow start process. Yeah, start process st- of starting, starting up. Starting up. What does that mean? <laughs> Uh, I think Ryan, you you didn't read this out loud. You did like I don't think there's any way you would have submitted that to us if you had read it out loud before you sent it in. Um, 
Cause ain't no slow start process of starting up. Anyway, <laughs> the long hours I spent on foot at parties built my stamina. Oh my God. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to you as a patient, perseverant stamina. Dude, he's talking about his physical fitness. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. Really? The constant negotiating developed my social skills. The networking made me courageous. The logistics bolstered my organization and making people happy gave me purpose. Oh, it's all telling. It's nice. That last bit is nice. It's just like, you're not, you're just missing the point. And I wonder whether people actually listen to our advice ever. Do people ever take our advice, Ben? Are we talking into the, are we shouting into the void and no one is listening to us? I keep asking people to write us like a polished professional personal statement. And I think that Ryan thought he did that. I think that he's trying to sell or something. I don't know. Listeners, we fucking dare you to write a personal statement that is not just full of pure telling like this. This is all adjectives. It's not like where, what did you do? I mean, if you want to talk about a negotiation, that's great, but don't just say the negotiating developed my social skills. How did they develop your social skills? What, in what way, what do you mean? Well, just, and it's when you do that, you don't even say, oh, and this skill was developed when no. I did X. You just start telling us what you did and it becomes quite obvious by what you're doing that you now know how to negotiate. <laughs> yeah. It's you all say, conclusions because there's no facts. If yep. you just said the facts, then we don't have to have these conclusions. The networking made me courageous. What do you mean by that? Why did the networking and please don't say that just show, show the networking show, show me how it's scary and show me how you overcame it. And then just don't say the word courageous. Yeah, so for example, you would start telling us how you made a networking plan. Maybe you made a list of 20 companies or, I don't know, um, clubs in the area that you wanted to make connections with. And did you start calling them? Did you visit them? When you visited them, can you tell us about one of them and what happened and what, uh, how that led to a particular event that you ended up DJing. Like I need to see you doing stuff. And then I go, Oh wow, he is doing these things and it sounds a little bit challenging, but he did it. So he must be courageous. I come to, I don't think of that word necessarily, but I come to the conclusion that you can get shit done. The, the logistics. Lo- <laughs> I was ahead. just gonna say, yeah. The logistics bolstered my organization. Huh? Okay, so show me uh, a situation where you're having to organize an event. Oh, I had to. I had to get this equipment here. Yeah, uh, it's challenging because uh, I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> I don't. Have, I mean. I'm not saying that you should necessarily write about some of these things. This is what we have to work with on people is they say, well, I could tell this story or this story or this story. And some of these stories are kind of lame even when you tell them. But um, I don't know. How hard is logistics for DJ? Maybe it's extraordinarily difficult. I don't know. I don't ever do that. But if you could start telling me 
uh, the things that you do to make that happen, then I could start to see how your organization was bolstered. Um, again, I wouldn't come to that conclusion. I would probably just realize, hey, look, you can get shit done. That's challenging. What I developed over time through my love for music was my own character and, comma, the will to keep fighting. What? Okay, again, that's all just telling. I, I feel like people take commas and they just like put up, they like grab a handful of them and then they just like chuck them at the page. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. What developed over time through my love for music was my own character. Oh, his character developed, Nathan. Let's let's get him over here. Let's get him to law school. That construction is so awful. What I developed over time through my love for music was my own character. You could have said, I developed my own character through my love for music. Still just telling. Still garbage. <laughs> but it would be... <laughs> less smelly garbage if you did that but it's still yeah it's totally just telling and the will to keep fighting i mean you were already just telling me about your courage and your perseverance and everything like this is just telling 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 when i began djing i was not focused on changing the world or affecting millions of lives <laughs> are you now <laughs> yeah what are you saying what are you focused on changing or affecting millions of lives or the world, let alone. What I learned about myself, however, was that I sincerely enjoyed having a small but positive impact on someone at an event, even if it was only a hundred people at a time. What? You're, you enjoyed having a small but he, positive impact on someone, even if that was a hundred people? <laughs> Yeah, he means to say, even if the event only has 100 people, he likes having a positive impact on someone at the event. But yeah, someone refers to one person, and then he goes to 100 people. No, I feel I don't know if that 100 people is referring to the people at the event. It just says at a time. So it well, yeah, sounds- no, he, the way he wrote it, it's I, I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he meant okay. something yeah. different. Uh, just because otherwise, it makes no sense the way you're reading it. You know, this is really, really at this point that that now is super, super grating because what he's doing is he's actually saying the opposite of what he means to say. Like he's he's blowing himself up that like he is changing the world. Right. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't trying to change the world or affect millions of lives. I just I sincerely enjoyed having a small but positive impact on. Someone at an event, even if it was only a hundred people, it's like he, he, he's going into this like DJ heroism thing. (laughs) I really enjoy making people happy and being part of something a little bigger than myself. You know, it's a nice sentiment. I don't hate that. Like that, that part, but you got to cut like the ego on this. You got to dial the ego way, way, way down. Because the the ego that has that this thing is demonstrating so far, it's like he just thinks he's the shit. Yeah. At least that's how it reads. Since I began DJing in 2011, I have worked at hundreds of events, everything from weddings to bar mitzvahs. Okay, final paragraph. Here we go. 
there's like, boy, there, this right now, it's like, I, are you applying to like DJ school? Cause it's not, there's no, where's the, where's the like, and I want to, I mean, this just doesn't connect to law school at all. So yeah. everybody out there, you don't need to connect it to law school. If the story naturally connects to law school, <laughs> like if you've been working in a law firm or even if you've been working in a business or you've been working in real estate, you've been, you know, anything that's even vaguely like businessy, you don't really need to say, you don't need to make it so clear why you need to go to law school. But like this dude, if he's going to write so much about DJing, he's got to make the transition pretty quickly here. I mean, we're, we're like two pages in and I have no idea what your, what your plan is for law school. It just makes no sense. Um, my desire to become a successful DJ while making people happy. He's always said that like four times now has shaped many of my current aspirations. Oh my God. Being a lawyer is similar to being a DJ in that one acts as the center of attention, both in the courtroom and on the dance floor. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) Is he watching TV or something? He's like, ah, look at that lawyer. He's the center of the show. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not like a club type of a guy, but is the DJ really supposed to be the star at the club? I thought it was about like music and the people, the guests, the people that were there. Like, I mean, I get it that like he's got people worshiping him, but is the lawyer supposed to be the center of attention in the courtroom, Ben? No, the lawyer is supposed to win your case. And that sometimes (laughs) means telling you to shut up and sit down. (laughs) And that's what we're going to tell you with this personal statement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also most lawyers don't even go to court. Most lawyers don't even go so to like, court. Are you like, this is, you know, he thinks he's going to be Matlock, but <laughs> oh my God. DJs take control as conductors of their party, similar to how an attorney takes control in the courtroom when advocating for their client. This sounds like you, the, everything you know about attorneys you got from TV. Yep. As a lawyer argues against his adversary before the court, (laughs) DJing is adversarial in that we hustle against the various musical tastes of the crowd. Wait, hustle. Where did you, what are you you reading? Oh, I, I, sorry. Battle. My bad. I've I've got it like real small on my screen. Let me try it again. As a lawyer argues against his adversary before the court, DJing is adversarial in that we battle against the various musical tastes of the crowd, the pressure of song selection and the need for the seamless mixing of music at every single party. Oh geez. Just stop. Have you ever read a more forced metaphor than that or comparison (laughs) than that i'm just waiting no i have not i'm waiting for ryan just to say i am a fucking attorney yeah (laughs) i've been djing my whole life i'm pretty much one in the same as i that's two sentences in a row starting with as uh, as i have long employed passion and persistence toward honing my previous craft 
It is skills like these that will carry over into my study of the law. Pure, just telling. Hmm. 100% bullshit. In understanding that my success is largely the product of my hard work and sacrifice, I have ascribed these values into my being. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> And okay. I will pursue law with the same fervor in which I continue to pursue DJing from the ballroom to the courtroom advocating for them. Those whom I represent is and always will be my passion. Advocating for those whom you represent <laughs> as a DJ. <laughs> It's pretty much the same thing. You got to like it's basically out the same. Music. <laughs> the skills I acquired by learning how I should conduct myself in front of large groups and in negotiations will be of great service in my study of comma and practice in comma the legal profession. <laughs> All telling the law schools. Yeah, really. Okay. Glad you know that by putting myself at the service of others. I can become a better person while also impacting the world around me. I will succeed in achieving my dreams. Dear geez, Louise. Oh, okay. Ryan, you would definitely not be accepted. I, if you got accepted to any school because they said, we don't give a fuck of what you write in your personal statement. We oh, just want your money. You know what? If he applied with that to Southwestern, and he had a 150 anything, I bet he gets in. Yeah. Because they don't give a shit. They just want your money. I mean, they're they're not turning down. I mean, look at their 509. They're not turning down. Pe- like, or, so let's say he had a 160. Yeah. They're not turning down 160s. This isn't like offensive. It's not like insulting. It's crazily naive. I think they would read this and they would go, yeah. Probably not a lawyer, but you know, if you had a reasonable LSAT score, maybe he'll figure it out while he's here and right. he's paying us. <laughs> well, they must, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, to resolve the cognitive dissonance, they must have just drank their own Kool Aid and they must just think, like, oh, we're going to really change people's lives. Because this must be like the type of shit they get all the time. I mean, it's the type of shit we see all the time. And we presume that our audience is more sophisticated than the average person who's applying to law school. Yeah, this is deeply concerning. I am deeply concerned, Ben. I'm having like, well, you know, I've been, I'm having fucking existential crisis about being in this business. Like I'm, I'm like even even being like adjacent to this business. Like (laughs) if this is the typical applicant, Law schools are just, it's just such a scam. I I just, I don't know. It makes me really uncomfortable. Okay. So Ryan has utterly failed in his effort to sell himself to law schools. But is Ryan actually a hard worker? I think so. I think that if there's a, there's a decent chance that Ryan can get shit done. And so if he were to rewrite this entirely using facts uh, from his business, I could see this as being a statement that would actually propel him 
uh, into schools beyond his reach. But he would have to he would have to talk about things that have happened recently. He would have to give us facts so that we see the success rather than him telling us about that success. And he could present himself as a badass candidate, but he'd have to get rid of all these sentences that reveal his like ignorance about law <laughs> and this entirely different profession than the one that he's in. Yeah. It, and then it's, again, it's like not to be bitching too much about my own personal circumstances because I mean, you know, we've done quite well, but like, this is an example of one where if he paid us thousands of dollars in the personal statement service, we would probably end up making this guy look like a badass. Yeah. And we, cause like we could just, we, but we would, it would blow up the entire thing. The whole 13 year old thing would be one sentence and then we would be showing, we'd be teasing out, like getting these details of like, Hey, tell me about a negotiation that went good or bad yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Tell me about networking. That was super scary. Why was it scary? How did you overcome that? Yeah. Tell me about customer service. Tell me about your re return customers. Tell me about how many shows did you do? How much money did you make? How, how do you advertise now? You know, like, Hey, your business card used to say youngest DJ in LA. What's it say now? How yeah. has that changed over time? Like, and we would get details out of, out of Ryan that would then, I mean, and then we would like help him rewrite the whole thing because there's a million obnoxious writing things that he's doing wrong, but yeah. we would change all those. And then you would read it and you'd be like, holy shit, this guy's super interesting. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Have we yeah, ever had a, a DJ come to yeah. our school before? Oh my God. And wow. Look at how well written it is and like how successful. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's some potential here. Like Ryan, at least has yeah. done some things, right? Yes. Um, it's absolutely. just sad how like bad this sounds, and I don't think he realizes that. No, he definitely does not. He's he's doing he's again he's doing that chef's kiss thing at the end of this. He wrote this, and it's beautiful, just a work of art, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. actually, this is having the exact opposite of its intended effect. It's making you look, you know, naive. It's making you look basically egotistical. You sound nice. You know, the, the fact that he kept saying how much he wants to make people happy, like that is a nice sentiment. And it, you could, you could get away with saying that, you know, once, um, probably not four times, but <laughs> You're not like lawyers are supposed to be good at like building cases, right? Based on facts, mm. turning, turning, like presenting facts in such a way that the outcome seems clear. Yeah. And what Ryan's doing is the exact opposite of that, which is just only the outcome he wants you to arrive at. Yeah. With all this passion and persistence and forced metaphor between DJing and the courtroom. Yeah, I don't think we ever have a personal statement in which someone uses those words. <laughs> no, no, uh-uh. No, because then all of a sudden not, you've mm -mm. just gone a little too far. Even persistence or, you know, hardworking or anything like that. It's like you make it clear by the facts that you present that the person is hardworking. And then it just sounds weird if they say, oh, therefore I am hardworking. It's like, uh, okay, why'd you stop to say that? It was obvious and it's better just to leave it at that. And I suspect that his conclusion would be a paragraph. Some of our conclusions are just a sentence. Most of our conclusions, I would say, are just a sentence, if that. Um, but in this case, like you said, he would need a paragraph to 
kind of show how this is all connecting to law school. And that would be a rewrite, right? We'd be doing that like six times. Like, no, that doesn't sound very credible or that sounds a little weird. Um, do you have any other reasons? <laughs> like you're interested in entertainment law or something? Like how can we make this make sense? Yeah. With so much focusing on the DJ, there's so much focus on the DJing. It just, the reader is going to be like, why the hell do you, what law school? What, why are you, why, why would you do that? Yeah. And so I think, I mean, I would, I would love to see what this would look like if it was all about business. Yeah. Yeah. Much that would less make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. The performance DJ stuff. I, I need like 90% less of that stuff. Yeah. You can have a tiny little bit of that, but it's just like, you're coming off as like, you think you're a superstar. And instead I would rather like, I want to hear the like nitty gritty. I want to hear the nuts and bolts of the, you know, maybe you had to rent a venue. Maybe you had to do a negotiation with like, you kept saying negotiation, but you never gave me any details about what that negotiation looks like. I would want to know, like, you know, did you have to open a bank account? Did you have to get a line of credit for yourself? Did you, Hey, did you pay your parents back? Um, like you Although just, I don't know if we'd even ever have that fact, right? We probably, probably just, not. Probably just, not. I started the business when I was thirteen, and and even I don't know. I mean that that does have some value, but it's like one sentence. It's really just one sentence. I think yeah. we've seen that before with some other people, like people who have played violin since they were five, or you know, done hiking since they were twelve, and it's like it ties into their story, and that's it, though. It's not like we're going to be dwelling on that time of their life. No, absolutely not. We're going to get as quickly as possible. We're going to get to modern you and what your DJing business looks like today. And then I think the transit, once you've done all that, once you've shown yourself as like a, basically you want to be showing yourself as a professional. Mm -hmm. Once you show yourself as a professional, then in the, there's a lot of different ways. I think you can do that last paragraph. If you're going to like make the transition to, you know, I want to go to law school because I think there are things you can say the law schools want to believe you at that point because you sound like a winner. And so then if you do happen to mention entertainment law or something like that, I can see the law schools being like, wow, this guy actually built an entertainment business. Yeah. And now he wants to, you know, go into entertainment law. Wow. Like they want, I think they want to buy that story. Yeah. But they're not buying this forced metaphor between DJs do the same thing that lawyers do. No. <laughs> I mean that this one's again, this one's going in the binder that they break out at the holiday parties. Yeah. Right. Yep. Thanks Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Thanks Ryan. Sorry. Sorry for kicking the shit out of you, man. But like you, you, you needed it. And you have some good stuff here in your life. That's not not here. You have stuff in your life that it seems like you could write about. And if you did, you could come across as a badass and go to a school that I think would be out of your reach normally based on your LSAT scores and GPA, whatever. Starting your own business. Like the fact that you've done hundreds of parties now. Like have you yeah. been making a, actually making a living at this? Although I don't know because I think you're only like 21. So probably you just got out of college, but anyway, like you, 
showing that you have created this successful business for yourself and developed a clientele and all that, that's awesome. Like you could go a long way with that. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. That was um, episode 220. Just really quick, you can join us at the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Thinking LSAT. You can visit strategyprep.com for live classes in D.C. or foxlsat.com for live classes in L.A. and San Francisco and other tutoring options. Our joint project is lsatdemon.com. You have... You can get a regular subscription or a premium subscription, which includes our course, as well as the Demon, which just tracks your skills and so forth. Um, You can listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, of course, and our own website, thinkinglsad.com. That's also where you can sign up for the Personal Statement Workshop, which is coming up on Saturday, December 7th at 1 p.m. in New York City. The location will be announced soon. That was episode 220 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.